We are on a journey in holiness. This is our third week in our series, Holiness and Worship. And we've been doing this out of the context of the tabernacle of Moses, learning about worship and holiness from this tabernacle. And from the first time, the, the, the first Sunday when I introduced the series, I said to you that this tabernacle actually is more than 3,500 years old, and yet there is so much that we can learn from it and apply to our lives today. So we are in a process. The whole point of holiness and worship is to draw near to the Father, to meet face to face with Him, to see His glory, to become one with Him. That is what each and every one of us were designed for. That's what you were created for. Sin came in the way, but Jesus came and made it right so that we could once again approach the throne of grace. And so we're looking at this tabernacle of Moses. If you remember two weeks ago, we did a virtual tour of the tabernacle, and we saw that there was only one entrance into the place of worship. And the Bible says that Jesus is the gate. He is the door. He is the only way to the Father. There are no other ways except through Jesus Christ. And last week, um, Pastor Sylvester was sharing with us about the bronze altar of sacrifice. When you came through the doorway towards God, the very first thing you were met with was a bronze altar. um, Bronze stands for judgment, God's judgment on sin. And this was where um, the people, the Israelites, would bring their sacrifices, their lambs, their... their, their, their cattle, all their different um, um, offerings that they would make before God. And this place was a noisy place. It was a messy place. It was a dirty place. There was blood everywhere. They were sacrificing um, this meat to God. And this was to show people that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. And we also learned from what Sylvester was sharing last week that this altar of sacrifice represents Jesus Christ. He is the perfect Lamb of God who was slain for your sin and my sin. And He became the path through the cross. He made a pathway for us into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of Almighty God. So we're going to move on from the altar of sacrifice. And when we look at the tabernacle, the very next, I don't know if we have a picture of the laver today. Um, We do have it somewhere, but I don't know if it's ready in the slides there. The laver was kind of a big basin, and it was made of polished bronze. So when you came in the gates, the first thing was the altar of sacrifice, and then immediately the next piece of furniture you saw in the tabernacle was the big laver. And you could not enter into the tabernacle through the, 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 the curtains into the holy place to worship without passing through this laver, the bronze laver. And we're going to talk about that one this morning. It's found in Exodus chapter 30. You can find that in your own time and read about it there. But it was, as I said, a large bowl made of highly polished bronze, which acted like a giant concave mirror or magnifying glass. And it was filled with water so you could see your reflection in it. It was made from the, the Bible says in that same chapter that, the, that this um, labor was made from the mirrors of the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So back in those days, thousands of years ago, they didn't have mirrors like us. We've got these 
mirrors that we can see our reflection very clearly. What they used for mirrors was highly polished bronze, and the ladies all had one of these little polished bronze mirrors to look at their reflection in. But these women who served at the tent of meeting, they gave their mirrors to be made into this big bronze lava filled with water. And what God instructed them to do was that the priests were to wash their hands and feet so that they would not die. Can you imagine? If you forget to wash your hands, it's a penalty of death. This is pretty serious. But they were working at the altar of sacrifice and were full of blood all over themselves. Their feet were filthy from the dust on the ground. They wore sandals back in those days in the desert. And for them to approach the presence of God and minister before him, God ordained that they should wash their hands in this big laver of water and wash their feet before they drew near to God. And God said that this should be a lasting ordinance, that he wanted his people to understand the importance of purity. Our God is a holy God. And when we approach him, he wants us to be aware of that. We need to pass through his cleansing in order for us to come close to his presence. So what does this labor symbolize? Well, number one, the labor symbolizes the word of God. Today, when we come to church, you actually wash your hands outside as well. That is because of our COVID uh, um, guidelines that we have. Um, and it doesn't really signify the same thing that they had here. But today, this labor um, with water, it symbolizes the word of God. And Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and 26 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Okay, so here we see the Bible. This is one place. There's a number of other places in the Bible that speaks of the word of God being like water that washes us. Another place is Hebrews 10:22. It says, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Okay, so here you see the progression into God's presence when we draw near to him. Our hearts are sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and then our bodies are washed with pure water. So back to the altar of sacrifice. That was a place of redemption. This is where Jesus shed his blood for us. And you know, the Bible says that we can't earn our own salvation, right? It's by grace that we're saved through faith, not of works so that no one can boast. So it is completely the work of Christ and his grace in your life that you're saved. But when we come to the labor, that's the place of sanctification. And this is where your part comes in, because the cleansing is done by us, okay? The Holy Spirit is the one who does the sanctifying work inside of us, but he can't do it if you don't go and apply the water and wash your hands and wash your feet. The, the, the high priest, the priest had to go and wash their hands and their feet every time before they went into the holy place. Now, you are God's 
priests, God's holy priests. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we need to constantly be cleansing ourselves and washing ourselves with the word of God so that we become that kind of um, sanctuary where the Holy Spirit feels at home. How often do you bath? Maybe that's a good question to some of you teenagers who don't like it. Ethan hopes you can skip sometimes. But how many times do you wash your hands? We do that many times a day. I know when I'm in the kitchen, I like having clean hands. So I'll wash them maybe 10 times during the process of when I'm cooking. I keep going back to the sink and washing my hands. How often do we wash our heart? How often do we let the Word of God cleanse our hearts, wash over our minds, wash over our hearts? This is what God wants us to do. We, the Bible says in Philippians 2.12, that we need to continue to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, okay? So there's a difference. You cannot work for your salvation. Your salvation is a free gift from God. But once you get saved, there's a process of sanctification, and that requires you to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and bring the Word of God to cleanse yourself so that God can do that sanctifying work and transform you more into the image of Christ, making you holy in His sight. We wash ourselves as we sing. Do you know the songs that we pick here in church to sing here? We're very particular about what we allow to be sung. Why? Because we want to sing the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful. It's able to release something. It's able to open our minds to the truth. The Word of God has power. And so when we sing the Word of God, you can do that in your private time or you can do it in a corporate session. When we sing the Word of God, we release something into the atmosphere. When we worship God and we bring high praises that glorify God, His presence comes down in our midst. So this is one way that we cleanse ourselves with the Word is through singing and through worship. It's good for you to listen to God's Word and worship <clears throat> during the week, not just in church on Sundays. But another way is when we read His Word or when we listen to His Word and when we meditate upon it. That's the process of cleansing ourselves, of washing ourselves in the Word. James chapter 1, verse 23 and 24 also speaks of the Word of God as a mirror. This labor was talking, is talking about the water being like the Word, but also it's a picture of a mirror. James 1, 23 and 24, For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. So the word of God is just like a mirror. Even that labor, 3,000, more than 3,000 years ago. The purpose for a mirror. How many times, by the way, do we look in a mirror in a day? Plenty times, and your affliction in a window as you pass by, you just check to make sure your hair is straight or, or that your tie is straight or whatever it is. But the purpose of looking in a mirror is to correct whatever is wrong, right? If you look in the mirror and you see, oh my goodness, I've spilt something on my shirt, then the purpose of the mirror is to show you the, the, what's wrong so you correct it. But imagine looking in the mirror, seeing, oh, goodness, I look terrible, and then walking out and forgetting all about it. You didn't comb your hair. You didn't. Your shirt is wrinkled. You didn't learn anything from looking in that mirror. Then the mirror is pointless. You might as well pack away your mirror. 
But this is the same with the Word of God. When we read the Word of God, when we meditate upon the Word of God, it's like a mirror that we hold up in front of us. And when we look at it, we see, oh, I'm selfish. Oh, God, help me, forgive me, wash me. And the Holy Spirit does a sanctifying work. And slowly we become more and more like Jesus as we allow that cleansing in our lives. But it needs to become a lifestyle, guys. Not just something that we do when we come to church on Sunday. It is every time we approach God. We need to live a lifestyle where we allow the washing of the water of the Word of God. Psalms 119 Verse 9 to 11 says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? That's a good question. In a world like we live in today with so much filth and evil and moral decay, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? The answer is right here. By living according to your word. That's the answer. That's how you can walk as a young man and a young woman. Actually, whether you're young or old doesn't make a difference. We walk in purity by living according to his word. Then he goes on to say, I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You can walk in purity when God's word becomes your first love and you treasure it with all of your heart. I've been spending a lot of time in the last couple of weeks in Psalms 119. Those of you who've read it, it's a very long chapter, but it's so beautiful because the psalmist is so in love with the word of God and I just find it so challenging. He says in one of the verses, he says, my soul is consumed with longing for your law at all times. Imagine if you could say that about yourself. My soul is consumed with longing for your law at all times. He says, the law of your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Now imagine if I had a big pile of silver and gold here, enough to buy you a house and a car and to sort out all your problems, financial problems for the rest of your life. And over here, on the other side, I've got the Word of God. And you get to choose which one you'll walk away with today. I wonder how many of us will take the big pile. And some of you are so clever, you're like, well, I'll take the big pile and I'll buy myself a Bible and I'll have both. (laughs) But (laughs) the idea of this scripture here is your Word, God. It's so precious to me. It means more to me than worldly riches. It's so precious. Your statutes are the joy of my heart. He says, my heart trembles at your word. Imagine when you heard the, hear the word of God that your heart trembles because you so desire to honor him. You desire so much to bring him joy. He says, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Now you can be there and say, but I know the Word of God. I don't understand what they're saying because I've read some of it and it's kind of dry and boring. I don't understand. How can you be passionately in love with the Word of God? 
Do you know what? This is not for a casual observer. If you're on the outside and you're looking in and you're trying to figure out, I wonder, is this really for me or not? You're never going to taste and see that the Lord is good. You cannot taste from a distance. You've got to go in and taste for yourself. It's not something that you can learn from somebody else. It's something you've got to experience on your own. It is for the one who chooses to embrace the Word of God, who wrestles with it and fights with it, because when God's Word comes and convicts us, it's hard sometimes to, to obey, but we don't let it go, and we hold on to it, and we say, God, make me willing. God, make me willing, and there's this wrestle, this fighting until we surrender. We embrace. We love the Word of God. For us to get to that place, it's only for such a person who truly values the Word of God. You know, Jesus spoke in parables. He was always telling these stories. And there were thousands of people who were listening to him. And after he finished his, his parables, his disciples would come to him. And one place, the disciples say to him, Jesus, why do you always speak in parables? And Jesus says, well, it's because we're hiding the truth from those who don't really want to know. And you know, a lot of people came to hear, and they went home and said, he told some nice stories. That was a good story. I can tell that one again to my kids. And yet, the people who really got the true meaning, the true value of what Jesus was speaking were the disciples and those who came back to him and said, Jesus, help us understand. What did you mean? What did this mean? And those who had the hunger and the thirst in their heart to truly understand, to truly value the words of Jesus, Jesus would begin unfolding and opening it up and explaining it to them. And all of a sudden, what seemed just like a plain old story took on a different value and became precious. And that is what it is with the Word of God. You know, even when we look at the tabernacle, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. When you look at the tabernacle from the outside, the coverings that it had on it, it didn't even look attractive. For a person who's watching from the outside, looking at worship, it doesn't look attractive. But for the worshiper who draws near and longs to know Jesus personally, face to face, as you draw near and you come into that place, the holy place and the holy of holies, the place where it was beautiful, surrounded by gold, surrounded by angels and the glory of God. It's only for the person who experiences and goes in who can truly taste this value. This same principle is also found, found in um, Proverbs. There's a scripture there which says, don't throw your pearls to pigs because they will just trample them into the mud. So God's word is sort of, it's so precious like a pearl. It's so valuable. But God says, guard it, guard it. Because if you just take such a precious thing and give it to people who have no regard for it and no appreciation, who do not treasure it, they won't see the value of a pearl. A pig won't see a value of a pearl. They'll just trample it into the mud. It'll have make no difference for them. So we need for us to get to that place where we can truly come to know the value of God's Word. we got to search it out, just as the psalmist did. We need to write down God's word when he speaks to us. Treat his word as a valuable thing. When you value his word, when you tremble at his word, when you honor his word in your life, he will honor you. 
Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It is as we study the Word of God and we get cleansed by the Word of God. The more we do that, the more we see God, the more we see the beauty of God. It's a process. It's a journey. And the more sin, the more deceit, the more... Um, deception there is in our lives, it's like we've got this thick veil over our eyes and we can't see God in there. And as he cleanses that veil, that we get cleansed and we can see more clearly. And the more pure we become in heart, the more we see God. So we've spoken about Jesus being the only way to the Father. And this labor, the bronze labor that we've been talking about, just as much as it speaks about the Word of God that cleanses us and that's like a mirror that shows us our faults, it is also a picture of Jesus. Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh. Let's look in John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. It says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So the Word became human and made his home among us. So Jesus is the living Word of God who existed even before the earth was formed. He is God himself. He is the Word incarnate. Jesus is this word. Sam was stealing my message this morning in our pre-service because he was saying the same thing this morning as we were meeting together earlier. If you want to become holy, you must intimately know the person whom the Bible calls the Word. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, For the Word of God is alive and active. Another translation says it's living and powerful. It's not just words on paper, but something happens when the Spirit of God breathes life into these words and they're active, living, powerful. They're sharper than the sharpest two edged sword, and it cuts between soul and spirit between joint and marrow. There's nothing else that can cut so clearly and so deeply as the Word of God. It exposes even our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing else can do that. We don't even often know our own motives, our own desires. We don't even understand ourselves, but God does. And His Word can come in and cut right to the core. Jesus, the living word, can become our most treasured possession, even when it pierces us and judges the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. As the word comes and exposes our motives. You know, it's not always a pleasant, it's never really pleasant when God exposes the truth about ourselves. 
But we need to remember that wherever he exposes the truth, his grace is sufficient. And he comes just to cleanse, not to condemn, but to draw us near to himself and make us more like him. It is the lamp of the Spirit which illuminates the darkness of our hearts with light. It sets us free from the strongholds of hidden sin. It wounds, but it also heals, penetrating deeply into the very core of our being. The Word needs to become a part of your daily life in order for this to happen. And as the Holy Spirit breathes life into the written Word, we need to respond with humility, with willingness, and repentance. There's a, a, a pastor by the name of Henry Madava. He's a Zimbabwean, and he's, he was actually an engineer. He was working on jet engines, and he was working overseas in an Eastern European country. And while he was over there and had a well-paying job there, the Lord spoke to him and said he had to give up what he was doing, and he had to start a church. Now, the problem was that, I, don't, I forget what the country was, but it was in Eastern Europe. I don't know if you, you know. Anyway, it was in Eastern Europe. And when Henry started, to, to started ministry, he had one big problem. These people in this nation, they were very racist. And there were not a lot of black people in, in this country. So when people saw him, they would call him a monkey. <laughs> he would even walk on the street and people would go on the other side of the street because they didn't want it. They were scared of him. This was the environment he was in. And he said to God, God, if you want me to minister in this nation, you need to change the hearts of these people because I can't work with people like this. And God said to him, Henry, it's much easier for me to change one man's heart than a whole nation's heart. But you know, there's this struggle, and he's like, but God, it's not fair. They shouldn't treat me like this. And God's like, yeah, it's not fair. But the way I was treated wasn't fair. But you need to do like I did, forgive, release. And this is what happens when God speaks, when the Word of God speaks into our lives. There's that battle that goes on because we're like, but God, he hurt me. What he said was mean and horrible. Yeah, but you need to forgive. You need to love. You need to release my mercy into that situation, my grace into that situation. But God, they, deserve, they don't deserve that. No, they don't. But you don't deserve his love either. And there's this battle that goes on in, inside of us. How many of you can recognize this battle? We've all been there. We go again through it time and time again as the word of God becomes that mirror in our lives and we realize, oh man, I have to let go. And finally, we embrace the truth. And what happens when we embrace the truth? We're set free in our hearts. Our hearts are filled with joy once again. And that whatever held us bound, we're released. Sam made a statement this morning, and I just want to make it as well. I want to ask you, how do you treat the Word of God? Because the way you treat His Word is the way you treat Jesus. Jesus is the Word. Do you honor it? Do you value it? Is it precious to you? Or don't you even know where your Bible is because you haven't opened it for weeks? It's gathering dust, dust somewhere on a shelf. How do you value Jesus? 
the word, the living word in your life. Number three, for us to grow in holiness, we need to passionately pursue truth. Jesus is the truth, and we need to passionately pursue him. Why do I say this, and why is this important? Because sin wears a cloak of deception. Sin wears a cloak of deception. The Bible says in Hebrews 3 and verse 13, but encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So there's a deceitfulness that comes with sin. And the first stage of attaining holiness involves the exposure of our hearts to the truth and the cleansing of our hearts from the lies. The process of becoming holy is accomplished by the Holy Spirit. And the way the Holy Spirit sanctifies us is with the truth. So if we don't love the truth, if we don't desire the truth in our lives, we can never become holy. And no area in our life can be corrected. Sin twists and distorts the truth. James chapter 5 says, if you confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, you will be healed. Why is this so important? Because confession brings exposure of sin. And when we expose sin to the light, it breaks the power of deception. Yeah? So if you're walking around with some kind of sin in your life and it has a power over you, you've tried to deal with it for a long time and you can't get breakthrough, Maybe it's time to confess it to somebody. Bring it out in the open. Break the power of the deception over your life. We need revelation to know the truth. This statement was mind-blowing for me a few weeks ago when I came across it. We need revelation to know the truth. Many times we think we know the truth. Oh, yeah, I know what's right. I know what's wrong. And we believe that we ourselves can discern the truth. But actually, it requires revelation from God for us to know the truth. Deception and confusion fill the world so much today. The bias in our communications media intentionally distort the truth. Advertisers promise the impossible. The lie is everywhere and somewhat in everything. And we have to accept the possibility that even those things that we're most sure of in our lives, they might have elements of deception in them. In Matthew 24, Jesus warns five times in that passage. He warns us against deception in the last times, in the last days. Five times. If Jesus had need to warn us of deception, it should at least make us stop up and think, I need to be careful. What I believe in, what lies I take into my life, what things I allow to control me. Because there is only one truth, that is Jesus Christ. And his word is true. And anything that does not line up with his word is false. Even if it looks good, it is false. If you think you can't be deceived, you already are. 
all of us can get deceived. And it requires us to walk in humility before God because pride is one of the greatest stumbling blocks that lead us into deception. In Psalms 119, my favorite psalm at the moment, 11 times the psalmist says, preserve my life. And I think of the world like a cesspool of rot and dirt and evil and sin. And the word of God, here the psalmist says, preserve my life according to your word. It's like the word of God has this power of preservation. In the midst of the rot of the world and the sin around you, when the word of God is in you, it has that power to preserve you, to keep you. Hallelujah. What a power the word of God has. Each area of our life that is controlled by sin is an aspect of our soul that is under deception. You may not realize it, but when you're under control of a sin in your life, you are under deception in that area. And the problem with sin is that there's a pleasure in sin that makes it attractive. And that's why it's hard to let it go. But the truth is that although it has a temporary pleasure... It always leads to death. How many of you can relate to that? Something that you think, oh, this is good. I like this. I know it's wrong, but I enjoy it. And then you indulge in it, and it's a sin. And afterwards, you feel dirty and ashamed, and oh, I shouldn't have done that. The sin comes right after. But sin is so, de uh, sin is so deceptive because it gives you a promise of pleasure, and it looks attractive but it leads to death. When we are set free from the slavery of sin, we discover joy, freedom, and the abundant life that God desires for you. If you think that holding on to your sin is the best, best way and will lead to a good life, you are deceived. Because Jesus came to give you abundant life, and it is in letting go of your sin that you will truly find life. You know, last week, Sylvester shared his testimony with us of how God worked in his life and brought about a conviction in his life about something he had that he didn't realize was there. But when Holy Spirit shone his light on him, and he got convicted, and he gave that up to the Lord, his testimony is that he felt so free, so full of joy, so liberated, and he didn't even know he was bound. It's, just, it's not just for silver. It's the same for all of us. We don't realize we're bound until Holy Spirit shows us. And when we get released, the joy and the relief of being set free from something, oh, how amazing is that? Loving the truth is the beginning of our freedom from sin. May God help us to love the truth. Let's just close with this scripture, 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. Not only is the word of God a mirror, but your life also becomes a mirror as you grow in holiness. It says that you can become mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him. So the more you become like him, when God's glory shines on you, it reflects and people see God's glory in your life. That is what God desires for all of us to become ever more shining brightly with his glory.
I hope that some of this message has challenged you and encouraged you. I know that when I've been preparing this, I'm like, God, I'm not the right one to, to preach this message because I don't love your word as much as I should, but I desire to. I want to grow in it. And if that is your desire this morning, God, I want to love your word. I want to treasure your word. I want to give it the value that it deserves. Jesus, I want to love you. Because you are the only way to the Father. I want to forsake sin. I want to love truth above sin.